You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there and just have it prepared, uh, we're going to really focus in on one or two verses near the end of the chapter, but Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. In 1991, when I was 11 years old, um, I graduated from the Weebelow Scouts and became a Boy Scout. And my first act as a Boy Scout was to earn my motorboating merit badge. And I don't know if you know anything about the motorboating merit badge or Boy Scouts in general, but usually you have a list of requirements that you have to check off. Some of them are tasks that you do. Some of them are things you learn about and maybe a little test or a little quiz. They try to get you some hands-on experience. So then you have just like a, a basic introductory knowledge in the subject, and that's where you get the merit badge from. So my first experience with the Boy Scouts was going out to a little military training facility and hopping behind the steering of a motorboat. And as an 11-year-old kid, this was just thrilling, exciting. And these boats, I, they probably had them throttled down so they didn't go that fast, but to my 11-year-old brain, I was racing through the water. I mean, this was the coolest, fastest thing you could do. And there was a lot of things they let us do. We got to, you know, do some maneuvers and take the boat in and out of dock, but the one thing they wouldn't let us do hands-on was actually use an anchor. Because the anchoring of a boat is actually fairly complicated. So they showed us how to do this, and they talked to us about how to do it, and we had to take a test on how to do it. But they did not trust 11-year-old Richard Hamilton to anchor a boat. Anchors are interesting. If you look historically, it started, uh, they would basically just take a big stone, put a hole in it, some rope, and drop it over the side of a boat. And the purpose was, if you were away from shore, someplace where you couldn't dock, you could try to have your boat be fairly stable in the water. This was especially important if you got caught out at sea in the middle of a storm and you needed to just kind of hunker down where you were. You couldn't get back to shore, so they would throw their rock overboard and hope that it was secure enough to keep them there. Over time, they developed other strategies. They would sometimes wrap the stones in different pieces of wood. Eventually, they added metal elements to it. Uh, the two anchors you see on screen right now uh, were actually uh, discovered at Lake Nemi. Um, they belong to essentially in Roman imperial yachts owned by Caligula. He had these two huge boats on the lake. They were just overkill, completely just ridiculously sized boats. And they unearthed these two anchors. You can see uh, up at the top there what they look like when they discovered them. And if you look really carefully, especially the one on the left-hand side, there's a person standing next to it to give you the perspective of how big these anchors were, which gives you an idea of how big the boats were. And then they have the replicas there, so you can kind of see the craftsmanship that went into these. Anchors are interesting because their purpose is to, to go into the water and to catch onto the, the seabed, the bottom of the lake, the bottom of the river, provide some sort of stability. So what they have to do is they have to make sure that whatever they're throwing into the water is going to be able to catch on to whatever is down there. Uh, and you're, sometimes your survival is dependent on the anchor doing its job. 
What determines if an anchor is going to be successful, if it's going to work well? There's basically two factors. The first is whether or not it's constructed well. It's got the right material, the right size for the boat. Um, I had an anchor that I was going to bring up here as sort of a demo, and it fell over and broke. <laughs> so you probably wouldn't want to rely on this in the middle of a storm, right? Um, it, it, this was not the illustration I planned on using with this anchor this morning, but, you know, if the anchor was not strong enough, if it wasn't constructed well enough, if it wasn't um, in good enough condition, if it wasn't the correct size, it would have no ability to help your boat stay put. Whether you were fishing or caught in a storm, this anchor right here is not going to do you much good. But when an anchor works properly, it, it holds up. And it's allowing its, itself to stay rigid, to stay where it needs to. But the other thing that's important for an anchor to work well is that it places itself properly and gets a firm grounding into the ground. So if you're in a, a lake bed or a sea that has a very soft bottom, sand, uh, it may not be able to hold up. If you place your anchor in the wrong direction and your boat's pulling in the opposite direction, it's just going to come out. So the placement of the anchor and the quality of the construction of anchor are vital to it working well. Why are we talking about boats and anchors? Well, when we look at Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6 says something kind of interesting. It says that as followers of Jesus, hope is our anchor. As followers of Jesus, as believers in Jesus, hope is the thing that anchors our souls. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to read just the second half of 18 and the first half of 20. So, Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. What is hope? Hope is simply an expectation of good, not wishful thinking, not a dream, not some sort of like idea that we have about things. Hope is actually expecting that good will come. And a lot of times when we think about what it means to be a Christian who has hope, we focus on the afterlife. We hope that after we have passed away, God is able to secure for us a place with him. We have the hope of heaven. And that is a large portion of the Christian hope, but that is not the full extent of the goodness that God wants to do in our lives. When we say that we have hope in Christ, we have an expectation of good, it's not just a hope for the afterlife. Our hope as Christians is also in the here and now, an expectation that God is able to, wants to, and will do good now. So I don't know about you, but for me, hope seems like an unreliable anchor. Trusting that good's going to happen? I don't know about you, but I've experienced disappointment. I've experienced disappointment in my life. Sometimes we experience disappointment in our work life. We chose a career, and we're not getting where we wanted to be as soon as we wanted to be. We're disappointed in our coworkers, and, and the job we want to do it doesn't have as much meaning or value for us. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced disappointment in your family. Your parents let you down. 
They weren't there for you, providing for you in the way you needed. Maybe your kids have not lived up to the expectations you had. Maybe your marriage isn't what you wanted it to be or what you expected it to be or what you hoped it would be, and so you have experienced some disappointment. Maybe your friends have disappointed you. Like, even really good friends sometimes just don't come through. You've had someone who didn't keep a confidence, who told you they were going to be there for you, who wasn't there for you when you really needed them. Maybe it's your own personal growth and development that's been a disappointment for you. You had a lot of potential, and you haven't lived up to that. Life is full of disappointment. And when we think about the original readers of this text in Hebrews, they were experiencing persecution. My guess is that when they came to Jesus, they weren't like, sign me up for the beatings. I want the persecution. That's what I'm here for. And my guess is that there were days when it was difficult for them to have hope that it was worth it. That God was going to be there for them. That there was going to be something of value that was added to their life that would make it all worthwhile. And the reason I feel this way is because when we look at the text of Hebrews, it talks about the fear, the temptation of drifting away from God. Because when you face difficulties in life, especially in response to your own personal faith, it's easy to walk away. So hope seems like an unreliable anchor because sometimes it's just hard to hope. It's hard to live in a way that expects good in the face of reality that seems less than good. But here's what Hebrews says about Jesus. Hope in Jesus is sure and steadfast. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our souls, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Our hope in Jesus is sure and steadfast. One of the controversial things about Hebrews chapter 6 is whether or not you can lose your salvation. If you go over in the earlier verses here, there's all this language about those who have tasted and have seen, but later walk away. Can they be brought back to repentance? And, and it, it's a complicated issue, but at the core of it, the question is whether or not it's someone who's a Christian that walks away or someone who's just kind of dabbled in Christianity. And I think when we start to wrestle with that issue in Hebrews chapter 6, we're missing the point of what Hebrews 6 is saying. Hebrews 6 is saying that if you've come to Jesus, if you're in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, where else would you go? Why would you want to leave? Difficulties may come, hard times may be there, but there's no other place for you to turn because Jesus is the one who provides hope. Reminds me of the story in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. People love a free meal. <laughs> so these crowds follow Jesus and they, they show up and he feeds them. And they're really excited. So the, that night, uh, his followers cross in a boat. He walks on water. Shows up the next day, and the crowds have followed him. His people like a free meal, and they want more food. So Jesus comes out, and he says, I know you're here for bread. I'm the bread of life. If you really want to be part of me, then you have to take that. And everybody's like, whoa, Jesus, I just want a fish sandwich. 
I'm not here for whatever this language is about eating ye. This is weird, Jesus. And so the crowds leave. They just leave. And Jesus turns to his closest followers. And he's like, are you guys going to? Everyone else is left. Are you guys going too? And Peter pipes up. And this is what Peter says. John chapter 6, verses 68 through 69. When Jesus asks, are you guys going to leave me as well? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what Peter understood that people often miss is that when you're following Jesus, when you're all in on following Jesus, when you have turned yourself over to believing and trusting and being in relationship with Jesus, you understand that there's nowhere else to go, that when you drift away because of difficulties in life, because of persecution, because of doubt, because of stress, because of anxiety, because of whatever it is that calls you away from God, you're leaving the hope that is a sure and steadfast anchor for something that is less than. And what Jesus provides for us is hope in a way that no one else can hope for. His anchor is not going to break when it falls on the stage. Right? It's sure. It's steadfast. It lasts through all the difficulties of life because hope in Jesus is a reliable anchor for our souls. This is the other thing it says about it, though, is that the hope in Jesus is well-placed. I'm not a fisherman. My extent of boat knowledge comes from Wikipedia and my Boy Scouting merit badge. My brother, on the other hand, is an avid fisher. Um, He and his buddy Sammy like to go out drum fishing. This is a drum fish. They're large. He says it's 50 pounds. You can't trust fishermen. I don't know. It is big, though. Um, He's a full-grown man, and he's holding that fish. So it's it's a substantial-sized fish. But one of the things about drum fishing, the way you do it is uh, there are certain times of year where the the drum will come into shallow waters overnight. And so you go on the edge of these shallow waters, and you place your anchor, and you stay in one spot. And these drum will come in to eat. And you stay out there all night as the drum come in to eat. And you're just picking them off. As they're going for food, you're providing food. But you have to be parked right on the edge of the shallows. And and so my brother and his friend Sammy, they will go out sometimes, and they'll just park all night. And they'll put their anchor down. And they set that anchor as well as they can in hopes of getting a fish that they can lie and say is 50 pounds. (laughs) But what often happens when they go out drum fishing is they set their anchor And two hours into their fishing trip, they realize they've drifted. Because when you're in the shallows, when you're in the soft ground, it's hard to set your anchor. These two guys who fish all the time, who've spent way too many time catching fish they could lie about, they even themselves have a hard time placing an anchor in the right place. And if your anchor isn't placed in the right place, it doesn't do you any good, and you drift. And what Hebrews chapter 6 tells us is that when you actually hope in Jesus, your anchor is placed in exactly the right place where it needs to be. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, is your hope in Jesus or something else? 
Is your hope actually in Jesus or is it in something else? Is your hope in like the security of your money? As long as the economy is doing well, as long as my investments are doing well, as long as my job is paying and I'm getting pay raises, I'm fine and I have hope that good will happen. Maybe it's in your stuff. I mean, I've just, I've collected all the things I want that make me comfortable in life, that provide security for me. And because I have this stuff, I have hope. Maybe it's in your status. I've got power at work, power in my, my community, my family's well thought of. I have status, and therefore, I can be hopeful about tomorrow. Maybe your hope is actually in yourself. Well, I'm good enough. I've done enough. I've earned enough. I've, I've been the right person. So I am enough. From a spiritual or religious standpoint, sometimes our hope is in our good behaviors. I'm a good person. I go to church. I haven't broken that many of the Ten Commandments that often. Maybe you've really trusted in a family member. Maybe my grandma was really religious, and I just, her faith is what got me here. Maybe you've trusted a religious leader, a preacher that you like, a group that you're associated with, some sort of identity that you've latched onto. But the reality is when you put your hope in any of those things, it's not Jesus. And that stuff is fine, but it's not going to be the anchor for your souls because it's not in the right place. See, Hebrews tells us that we have hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. This is a reference to the temple. Nobody could go into the temple except for the high priest, the right time of year, who had the right clothing on. The, the garments had to be washed in the right way. They had to put a rope around their feet because even they might die if they go in there and have to be drug out. And what we're told about Jesus is that his ability to go into the place where sacrifices was made is so secure that when our hope is actually in Jesus, our hope is an anchor to our lives. Last week, Ronnie talked to you about the idea of the high priest that can make a sacrifice because he understood what it meant to be human, lived a perfect life, and was broken for us. Next week, Jesus is going to talk to you about the idea that Jesus is a kind of high priest who could go between us and God. But what we understand from the book of Hebrews is that Jesus' sacrificial death goes to the altar, the place of sacrifice inside the temple. His resurrection conquers death and allows us to have a sure and steadfast hope because it's placed correctly. The book of Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this, talking about our baptism. When we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we become Christians, when we follow Jesus, when we get baptized, we're not trusting our own good works, our own righteousness, our own security, our own comfort, our, our, our mom, our grandma, our uncle, our Sunday school teacher, our preacher, our, our security because of our stuff, our money, our, none of that. We're saying, Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross and your ability to conquer death were enough for me to build my life on. And this isn't some future hope. Romans 6 tells us that when we experience the connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we walk in newness of life. Now, you walk differently because of that. So the question we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus provides 
a sure and steadfast hope. If Jesus provides a hope that is placed correctly by offering a sacrifice for us, are you living with this hope? Is this hope real in your life? In our verse here, in Hebrews, it says that this was done on our behalf. On our behalf, that Jesus did this for us. So the question is, do you actually expect good? Do you actually expect good? Do you actually trust God with your future? Both your tomorrow and your forever. Back in the book of Romans, verse eight, verse, chapter 8, verse 28, it's a pretty well-known passage. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Sometimes we read this passage and we think, man, God promises to make my life easy. If you read through Romans 8, it's actually the opposite. Romans 8 is about suffering and trusting God in the midst of suffering that God is still faithful, that God is still good, and that you can actually have hope. When we experience Jesus, the Jesus talked about in the book of Hebrews, the, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is the Son of God, the Jesus who offered sacrifice for us, who went to the place where we couldn't go, to the inner place, it's a hope. It's an anchor. It's something that can keep us there in the midst of difficulties and storms and trials. That whatever is going on in our lives, we're able to live out hope. Hope in God, placed in Jesus, allows you to trust God in the midst of life with all of its ups and downs. And Jesus is our hope.